Hello, my friends, Nigel here, and welcome to Backable, the podcast where we explore the top performance habits in both business and life. As business owners, pressure is something we're all intimately familiar with. It comes in many forms, both internal and external. And if we're striving for something greater, it simply will not go away. But should we even be looking for it to? Today, Tim and Alana look at the dangers of the default setting. They ask the question, how do you maintain momentum after that one big win? And they reflect upon the positive impact that they've found from applying and maintaining pressure in the right areas of their business in not only growing their companies, but the people within. Hope you enjoy. Over the last few weeks in our hometown, the pressures from COVID have started to ease up. And Lana and Nigel and myself have been noticing and talking about some of the dangers of when pressure is released in a business. Because we've had this experience before, Lana, which is as soon as pressure comes off, you can make some dumb decisions. And you basically go back to a default setting. So you're under this high-pressure situation in your company. It might be going through a growth stage. It might be delivering a big project. It might be getting to a point in your business where you want to set something up. So there's all this stuff that always happens. And then the pressure comes off a little bit. And you notice that business owners that generally find it hard to get momentum going start to go back to their default setting. So we should talk a little bit about that today because this is a habit in your organization that you have to break. And you see a lot of the very famous entrepreneurs of our generation and they're famous for the amount of pressure they keep on their businesses to continue to push through. And as smaller businesses, we need to work out when do we go back or look for the default setting that we feel most comfortable in. And there's some very interesting studies around that, Lana, but we've seen that ourselves, haven't we? Our teams have gone through high-pressure situations, the pressure comes off, and suddenly people start going back into, I won't say sloppy habits, but old habits that didn't serve us. It's a really good one because it's often a really nice way of saying that you stop striving, that when the pressure comes off, the default setting is comfort, and quite often striving for something is uncomfortable. And so when you come through really big growth in a company, for example, after you've had that one quarter of growth, it is very hard to have another quarter of growth because you have to strive for it. Yeah, it's, it's almost like people who do crash diets, they do a 12-week intense period or a boot camp and they get really, really fit quickly or they lose a lot of weight quickly and then 12 months later, they've never been heavier, they've never been more demotivated. It's very similar in a company that goes through this. Once you almost get through a period like that, the natural inclination is to have a bit of reprieve because we're conditioned to hey, don't put yourself under too much pressure. You know, this is sort of common rhetoric. Such bad conditioning. Terrible conditioning. (laughs) It is the most unperformance conditioning. This is not to be taken as don't look after yourself, by the way. No. There's the famous NFL player who after they won the Super Bowl. Emmett Smith. There we go. (laughs) You know the story I'm talking about, don't you? Mm -hmm. They said- um, We've spent too much time together. Yeah, we have. They said, aren't you going to take a rest? And he said, yeah, sure, I'll take a rest. And he took a rest from the weights- for a beat, and then he started up his weights again. Yeah, it's a famous ad, actually. That's why it became such a famous story. I think actually Eric Thomas speaks about it nonstop, but it is that whole performance mindset of a goal is just 
something that's achieved on the journey and then it's what's next. My favourite to- line, yeah. yeah. I actually find it interesting when people say that you're Bill Gates of the world or you're Elon Musk's of the world. They'll call them crazy or freakish because of the amount of work that they do. But in actual fact, all they do is when they achieve a goal, they keep going. There's another goal there and their reprieve or their, I guess, base level might be for an evening. It might be for an hour. But when you're driven by what you're actually doing, you don't want reprieve. You don't want to stop striving. So for me, this is a very interesting concept because then, well, do you actually like what you're doing? Well, I think that is probably the interesting part of this whole conversation. It is looking at the base level thinking of how you see your work, your performance and where you're spending your life. So if you enjoy what you're building, are you building it to get to a certain financial result and then actually you just want that money to go and do something else, which a lot of people do. And it's not always a bad thing. They might say, I just want to get this amount of money, so I'm going to put myself under a hell of a lot of pressure. I'm going to buy my family a house or go on a holiday or have these sort of short-term financial goals and then we'll see what happens next. And there's also this type of business which is let's see how far we can go. Let's see how we can attack our industry. Let's see if we can change or shift the paradigm in the way we operate. And I guess this is the difference between business owners that are there just to basically be self-employed and people who want to grow an organisation. And they're very different games, even though they're both called business owners. And I think the mindset that comes with that as well is, and it's employees as well as business owners, from my point of view, it's not saying that you don't get tired or that you don't have something else you'd rather be doing or it's not heavy, it's that when you have that heaviness or when you have that back to the default setting, there's something driving you that makes you keep going back up to the next level. Yep. And if you are just looking for the house or that next big win, once you get it, it can be really deflating unless you've got that personality or that trait within you, which is what's next. And yep. I, I kind of agree with the old adage of journey, not the destination. It's the journey because if you don't like what you're doing or if you don't have that mindset of once I achieve my goal, I'm going to keep going, that's where we come back to this idea of going back to your default setting. You've had so much pressure on you and we have spoken about this before. You think that what comes next is going to be better? Yeah, that's a really big one. We see it commonly. There are great studies around debt. Mm. So people who have credit card debt or a level of debt in their personal lives, you know, the banks know this better than everyone because Banks are happy to have a certain amount of debt for every customer, right? That's what is part of being in a bank. They've basically got this debt that's never going to be paid off and they're just getting interest on you every year. But people have this conditioning of the debt levels they're comfortable with. So you see people who may have got into more debt than they're comfortable with, so they start to recalibrate their lives and their businesses around reducing the debt level. And then you see them hit the comfort level of their debt level and they stay there. So they've work really hard to find some way of miraculously getting more money to get back to their comfort level and then they stay at that debt level. They don't continue it on to reduce the debt or anything like that because that's a conditioning. That's what we're happy to hold personally. When we're in our businesses, we have to look at where we're comfortable the same way. So you see, we see it, Lana, which is a lot of people get to a certain revenue level and they're out of their comfort zone. So they find a way to sabotage themselves to get back to the revenue level that they feel right. And we're not going to go into all the conditioning, like family conditioning, environment conditioning, people starting, oh, you bought a flashy car, did you? No, I, that's a work car that we needed for work. You know, all these things that start building in, but these are small business mindsets and self-employed mindset, not performance mindsets, which is 
we should be getting to different revenue levels. Things are going to change and we need to keep pushing using that revenue to get more revenue, if that's what your goal is, obviously. There's an interesting psychology that you learn if anyone who's been to university or done some sort of microeconomics. There's this concept called scarcity and you learn probably in the first 20 minutes of sitting in the first lecture, which is around all humans have unlimited wants and needs. So as soon as you get to a new level, you're going to find more things you want. I'm going to throw <laughs> Lana under the bus. Oh, Lord. She buys better shoes now than when I first met her. You actually bought me my most expensive pair of shoes, so I think it's your problem. Listen, I'm not saying that it's all on you, but what I'm saying is once you start getting a bit more means, you find ways to spend it or things you want. And this is the thing we have to calibrate as humans is even when you're at your dream success right now or one of the steps to that, you're still going to feel like you want more. It's a question, does everyone feel that way? If we come back to the idea of striving and wanting more. Yes, this is a human condition. Human condition is just wanting more. Yeah, and um, the funny thing is I know there'll be a lot of people listening that say, no, 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 I've become very spiritual. I'm, I'm just happy where I am. And then they're looking for more spirituality. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're looking for – and that's the point of the human condition is we're always looking for the next thing because the idea is growth, right? When you stop growing, you're pretty much dead. and. And that's the point of understanding how we all feel. It's not about what you've got. It's about calibrating how you behave at certain intersections if you have ambition to keep growing your business. For you, Lana, when you've worked and run your teams, what challenges have you found when people have had a big win in a quarter and then managing them over the next few? And this isn't for everyone speaking, (laughs) everyone listening that still works with Lana, but in the past, we've had some different experiences around that. Within that, I've been quite lucky because I personally am a striver. You and I are planners and goal setters. So even if someone on a personal level has had a big win, they do come back with a bit of a bang and we're still going. So even if they had a personal win, which is wonderful, they've got a bigger picture there. I think the hardest thing when it comes to a big win is calibrating the reality of where you are at. As in, that's great that I might've had a big win. That doesn't make me suddenly better, just like it doesn't make me suddenly worse at something. And so within a team, just because you might've had a big win somewhere, being very careful that that doesn't have a negative repercussion and it can be around ego that suddenly you think that you're all that, but also you still have stuff to learn. And I think that that's always the hardest thing of managing a team when a win comes in is almost keeping all those egos in check and saying, well, you still got a job to do and you've still got a role to play just because you're great in one position or one area that most likely you were given a lot of support to be great at doesn't mean that you're suddenly really good in all the other areas. And so when we come back to our default position, it is that self-protection of I'm good at what I do, you are, but that doesn't mean that you can't be better. Yeah, and that ego is actually part of what we're talking about, that scarcity or going back to your default position. It's actually a way of you recalibrating the world to go back to where you feel comfortable because you see a lot of people who might have come into a bit of money or whatever it is and 
it's the ego trying to find a way where they feel comfortable so they're behaving differently. I had a really uh, a close friend who spoke to me about this once about one of his close friends and his close friend made a lot of money quickly and he hadn't for a lot of his life had really much excess money. So he made a lot of money quickly and he turned into this absolute tool. And they sat him down and said, we refuse to go out to dinner with you anymore for the way you treat people, talking like you're the king of the world. And these friends of mine have been wealthy for a lot of generations as well. They're used to having money around them. But for this person, it was such a, it was such a change to their environment and their life that they actually just lost the plot for a little while. Then when, obviously, when good friends pull you up on it and you look at your behavior and go, what have I become? This wasn't a bad person. It was them trying to calibrate and you could see that they were on a pathway to lose it all. It was just a matter of time because they were doing everything they could to alienate themselves and be rude and they didn't realize they were doing it. They just weren't calibrating right because it was a significant sum of money and they just, they've never been around that sort of world. So they expected everything in that world to be at a different standard, but it isn't. And that's with money, which is something that's quite tangible. You can actually hold on to it. Imagine the ego of someone who's either young or old, it's irrelevant of age, but they've just achieved something that they've been working to. Yeah, That's often where the conflict of this default position comes to because if you are striving, you have to leave ego at the door in terms of business because you need to bring people along with you and you need to be able to, you can't do it alone. And so if you are constantly big noting yourself or thinking just because you've had one or 10 wins that suddenly you're all that, you actually go against the fact that you're striving as a team. And for me, that's always been an interesting one to watch unfold is you've said this a lot, money doesn't change who you are. It just kind of makes it more Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an amplification tool yeah. because you have more means and you don't care what others think really. You know, it's that whole thing of I've been striving for so long, now I don't have to actually listen to anyone. You see who someone really is. Right? Yeah, and the same comes when you have a mental win or a win in the workplace of that's great, but you're still who you are. Yeah, even people who go through, um, I'll be very careful tiptoeing around this, but spiritual transformations. So they feel like they're seeing the matrix and everyone else is an idiot. (laughs) And it's hard because you look at them in a bubble and there's nothing wrong with going through a spiritual transformation, seeing things differently, recalibrating your life. But they suddenly take that as the reason to get rid of every person or infrastructure around them at the time because they see the world differently, right? It's like being in a new matrix. And we've, we've seen it a lot, Nigel, over the yeah. last 20 years is being around people who go through a lot of self-development. You know, they go and see a guru and now suddenly all their life makes sense for that year. And then suddenly, you know, a few years back, they're like, oh, no, I probably went too far down the rabbit hole there or whatever it is. It's a difficult one because for me, particularly over the years, there's been a lot of friends that we've had to part ways for a time because I want them to do what they want to do. It just doesn't fit with me at the moment because they've decided to alienate everyone else because now they see the way. It's almost a fanaticism that you have to be very careful of. I think with um, any of these forms of growth, it's kind of like an elastic band. You stretch too far in one area because that's your new tool or the new thing that you understand. It's where all your focus is going in, but there's a natural pullback towards closer to norm but you've got to get through that stretch period where everyone's maybe overplaying their hand yeah i mean you see it in every single aspect of life when someone learns a new tool that they believe is really serving them they use it a lot in martial arts you could see a martial artist that had learned a spinning kick 
and they'll keep using it until they get knocked out, right? Because <laughs> they think it's the be-all and end-all, but it's actually a very difficult thing to pull off and it's not as effective as they first thought it was. It just looks amazing. And so it's understanding these tools and where to calibrate them and how to use them. And as Nigel said, you see people, they do stretch the elastic band. They try and use one tool now, particularly I've seen it with people who do communication courses, so NLP and things like that. They feel like they've unlocked the brain of everyone on the planet. But what they haven't realized is a lot of people that are not buying into what they're saying have a different evolution process because they calibrated some of the things you have many years ago. Your catch-up isn't their ignorance. I wanted to talk about an example a few years ago now, which I think was in 2019 with a boxer called Andy Ruiz Jr. And he shocked the world by beating Anthony Joshua to win the WBA World Heavyweight title. And immediately after, as part of the contract, they had a rematch clause. So the rematch was on. And Andy Ruiz, over the next five months, basically came back in the worst shape of his life. So he'd hit the pinnacle of his life. He'd made millions of dollars. He was the heavyweight world champion. And he fought Anthony Joshua again, and he was overweight. He was slow. He was not prepared because he couldn't calibrate, and he spoke about this openly in the interviews after, being the heavyweight champion of the world. He went back to his default position, which was the overweight teenage kid where he felt most confident in his life, and he defaulted that even when he became the heavyweight champion of the world. And I think these are the sort of things we want to look at in our businesses. These are the the emotional ties we want to see in our staff. This is what we want to see in ourselves when we start to get to a comfort level and work out what to do when we notice. Because when we notice things are going back to a place that we'd evolved from, what do we do? Because that's really the question as leaders, as people running big organizations. Let's use the example right now. We've gone through a pandemic and if everyone knows that we're broadcasting out of Melbourne, Australia, we have been in the global headlines as being one of the most locked down places in the world. Political opinions here, there's no place for them, but we have been. But there's been a really great efficiency gain in a lot of businesses, and particularly in our clients' businesses, by being locked in, Lana. We were speaking about this the other week. Mm. If anyone's been listening to this podcast at all, you know that I love action. I'm all about action and opinions are great, but if they're not backed up with action, then it's irrelevant to me. This is what the pandemic has definitely done for me and what I think we will see, not only as a state coming out of lockdown, but as a nation, is what is going to be the action behind all these changes? So everyone's talking about leaving the city, right? Everyone's talking yep. about working from home and it's really great. Do we think that this is going to be here in the next three years? Do we honestly believe that offices are dead and working from home is the future? And no one actually knows the answer. As much as we all want to have wonderful opinions, you've got those people who have made a really solid change, which is sold up, bought houses. They've said we're leaving the city and we've actually taken action yeah, Vers- when early. Yeah, when early. <laughs> Versus those who they think it's what they want, but they don't have the action to back it up. And a lot of the tech giants have asked their people, you can have one or the other. You can work from the office when we're back, or you can work from home when we're back, but you cannot have both. Which is a very interesting way of approaching it, really, which is it's hard to blame yourself if you give your employees the choice. Yeah. And they don't like it. Well, that's life, isn't it? You can't have it all. 
in anything in life. So why should you have it in a workplace which is trying to give you the opportunity? And I believe what we'll see in the next, we'll say, 24 months is things do get under control around the world. People are going to have to make a decision. They're going to have to make action for themselves of this is the life that I want to live and everything that comes with it. I want to bring up something here because there was an interesting discussion around this, which is some of the efficiency gains during the pandemic. We're talking with a lot of sub 50 million type turnover businesses. And a lot of the people, particularly in leadership roles or business development roles, have found the lack of ability to travel has made them a hell of a lot more productive. So instead of having to travel, have a coffee, go through the rigmarole of all that, traveling over the side of the city, they've been clicking on a video link, having the conversations. And because it's the only thing we can do, it's been an acceptable thing. Now, as our city starts to open up, people are like, we should have a coffee. Melbourne's big for coffee, right? This is how we do business in Melbourne. We're a coffee-first culture. You have coffee, then you do business, as opposed to other cities in Australia, which is business first, then you have the coffee. But anyway, Melbourne's very unique and we love it for it. But speaking to a lot of these people who are now getting invitations to travel, to go to different events, what they've realised is the efficiency gains have been so massive for them in terms of being able to talk to a lot more people using this technology they're nervous and they don't want to go back to what they were doing because they just realized how much time they're wasting and ultimately how much of their lives they're wasting. Can I ask, are they senior people? They're in growth stages of their business. So they are senior, but they're definitely still playing the role of leader and business development, a lot of these people. Because the flip side of that that I've experienced and witnessed is the efficiency decline in training up new people. Those 1% conversations, the overheard in the office, things that previously would have taken yeah. 30 seconds, now it's, it's a thing. It's an issue. You have to put time into it, process into it, what could have been an over-the-shoulder discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what I mean by no one has the answers because efficiency gains and efficiency declines is what we're seeing. And it's going to be what is actually going to win out. It's a really good point. I mean, this is, I guess, for businesses that are systemized and structured in terms of staff training. It's been an extremely important thing to have for anyone who's been hiring during this period. And well done if you are, by the way, because we realize we are in a pandemic and a lot of hiring hasn't necessarily been across all industries. But those little things, you do start to take for granted how much of the training is done via these incidental learning culture around people hearing conversations. We've particularly had to experiment with different ways to get people to feel part of the team, haven't we? Because, I mean, we had one employee who started literally three <laughs> a week, three days before we all went into lockdown. So have spent more time working for us at their home than they have in the office. So it's a completely different experience than people who've been there for six, 12 months, two years, five years, because all those things you speak about, they're just not there. And there's no roadmap for this. Because usually I would say, march the beat of your own drum. You don't have to be dictated by yeah. what others are doing because that's how you make sure that you don't go back to a base level. But right now there is no answer for such things because other people have to be taken into account for it. Yeah. And this is, I guess, the point we're trying to get at during this conversation is what are the things from this experience that are working for you and how do you keep them in your routine? And what are the things that are working for you in your position? Very important Very important. It might be great that working from home is fabulous for you, but I don't know if you're a face-to-face -face trainer. <laughs> yep. It's not so great. You do need to bring that into it. And this comes back to 
what I was just talking about with having to make a decision about what you want and what you are genuinely entitled to. Having this conversation with everyone, so if you're the owner of the company or someone pretty senior who can make decisions, how are you navigating that communication? So is it the way you feel because it's your stage in life that this works for you as opposed to an organisation that might be full of people that have got a different demographic breakdown? How are you deciding as a company what does the future look like for us? So for us particularly, we closed down our office during this period. So we're in the process now of going into a new office and it was fortuitous timing because we actually had outgrown it. We'd put an offer in for a much bigger <laughs> a much bigger office that was rejected over a couple of thousand dollars, which at the time I was like, you are joking. And now I'm like, I must be under a lucky star <laughs> because we wouldn't have been able to be in it for 12 months. But it's understanding what does your business look like now? And if we are operating in this way because we want to keep these efficiencies, how are we quickly filling the gaps of things that potentially, as you mentioned, weren't measurable prior to this, but are very, very important, particularly in SMEs where the companies are you know, sub 50 people, you still need, or we've traditionally needed those touch points, that interaction, the reason to want to go to work. If you have had an experience of growth or a sudden release of pressure in the business, it is often easy to find time in the stuff that you shouldn't be doing to say, well, I'm still working hard, but I'm actually not working hard on the things that I should be working hard at because I'm working hard on the things that I know how to do. For me, I know quite easily my default when I'm not striving is finding gaps to help others, that I could be running 15 different projects. But if I need a downtime, I will take other people's work. Sounds like we've got some management training coming <laughs> your way, Lana. Oh, I'm aware of it. <laughs> you're, um, you're being performance managed from now on. Fine by me. <laughs> and being aware of it is the first step because we all do need a downtime. That's not in debate here. But it's seeing that you've got this habit. It's seeing that you've got a point of your, it could be week, it could be month, it could be year, it could be project. That when you hit that, you take your foot off the pedal. And what is the thing that you do to fill the gap? Because everyone listening to this, you're all hard workers, but are you filling the gap with something that you should be filling it with? I'm going to call you on that. <laughs> I don't think everyone listening is a hard worker. Not at all. I mean, geez, they're wasting time listening to podcasts. No, I'm joking. Just joking. But <laughs> and <what> we, Nigel's <laughs> crying. <laughs> yeah, just watching Nigel's tears flow down. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, I'll give you some practical ways in which we work in our performance consultancy, which is we work on 12-week plans. What that allows us to do is never lose sight of what we're trying to achieve and adjusting in the short term. And this isn't anything groundbreaking in terms of you're working in quarters. Wow, what an amazing thing. It's not that that makes it amazing. It is the focus on the 12-week plans that makes the difference. It is the execution systems that we put into our 12-week plans. Everyone knows what we're trying to achieve and we are focused on the execution better than anyone, I believe. If you're running a business right now where you're a hard worker but you don't have a short-term plan, what are you really? Are you a hard worker or are you pretending to be a hard worker because you're doing a lot of hours? That's ineffective. That's not performance. There is no performance business or personality or any type of entity that considers themselves high performance that doesn't have a plan and doesn't know that plan inside out. And this is the thing about 
listening to this, which is if you don't have that idea of where you want to get to by the end of the quarter and next quarter and over the next couple of years, you will default to your natural position. Your gut feel will dictate where you end up. And this is the whole point of this is even just putting it down on paper will make you a better business. And for a very simple reason, it shows you what you have to do, not what you might want to do, but what you actually have to do to get there. And then you get to make that decision. Am I going to strive to achieve the necessities or am I just going to go at a nice glacial pace and I'll get there eventually, but I'm not going to feel that pressure that I've just felt. Exactly. And this is the point because we've spoken about the human condition being around scarcity. Even if you don't have ambition to grow the biggest business in the world, by knowing what you're trying to achieve, you know when you can actually say, we're there, now we're in maintenance. It's okay to not want to keep striving to get bigger and bigger, but it takes the pressure off you around where are we at? Where, where we want to be. Great, let's maintain this because this is exactly what we want the business to be. It's okay, but most people don't even know when they're there. So they never feel settled because there's always one more client. There's always another million dollars in revenue. But you have to work out what it is for you and your organization. And that's the key because if you don't know where you're going, Good luck trying to attract people to your business that want to be in a rudderless ship. No one with talent will go to a rudderless ship hoping that they somehow know where your default setting is as a business owner and as a business. And so as you start putting in all these structures, as you start having mechanisms in which you can keep the pressure on in the areas of what you want to achieve, it's easier for everyone else to be part of it and contribute. You start taking the pressure off yourself as the owner and everything is on your shoulders. And that's the key with this whole thing, is the ability to know where you're at, know where you're heading, and when you start going through breakthroughs, be comfortable with that position. Because if you can do that, you won't have to keep going backwards in order to realize what you've done, and then have to ante up again to go forwards. Nigel, Lana, always good to... um, talk about things like this perhaps we should recalibrate where we're at because it's always a nice thing to do but thanks for the chat and why don't we do it all again next week see ya well that's the show for this week thanks for listening and of course if you head on over to backable.ai you can access all the downloadables we've put together now if you want to stay up to date with all things backable and philodomo then make sure to join our facebook group and follow us on one or all of the platforms you can find in the show description below. As always, if you have enjoyed this week's podcast, please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. That's all from us for now. Have a great week, and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye.